Okay, today's daf is daf Yud Aleph, Gitan 11, and we pick up on the Mishnah on Yud Bet. And we're continuing to discuss ways in which Gitan and, um, for women and Shtar Shikhra, uh, rid of manumission for a slave, are, have similarities or possibly differences. So the Mishnah says as following. All of the documents, monetary documents that have been processed, that have uh, come out of non-Jewish courts, and their code is like an established uh, court, um, it, even though they are signed by non-Jews, they are kosher. Shocking. Wow. With the exception of a get for a woman and a writ of manumission for a slave, that's not surprising. Those are things that are, you know, one thing is a, like a monetary issue. Um, this is something that actually changes personal status. And as we know, there's a lot of technical halachic requirements about how it's done, which is what the whole Masechet is about. So for a get and a star uh, shikhar of a slave, which is learned out and ha- um, from the laws of Gitin, um, those cannot, are not kosher if they come out of a non-Jewish court. So, okay, that's not surprising at all. What is surprising is that even these monetary Monetary documents are kosher, and we'll see why in the Gemara. Reb Shimon Omer, and now for even a bigger shocker, Reb Shimon says, Af even a get for a woman and a star shikhar for a slave are kosher when they come from a non-Jewish court and are signed by non-Jews. The only time it's a problem is when they are done in a, a private court, but not in an established uh, communal court. So we'll worry about the hedyot later, but why, how the heck could this be kosher? And and not, not to ruin the surprise, but the Gemara is going to say that it is because Reb Shimon holds like Rabbi Eliezer, who holds that 80 Messir Karti, that the witnesses that matter for a get and for a star shikh or for a slave are not the witnesses who sign it, but the witnesses who are present when it is being handed over. And um, we are dealing with a case in which it's obvious that the, the witnesses signing are not kosher witnesses, are non-Jewish witnesses, and you'll make sure to have Jewish witnesses present when it is being handed over. Okay, so that at least explains the signatures, uh, but the other thing that you have to assume here is when it says that the doctor came out of the court, it doesn't just mean, it, me, it means just that it somehow was processed by the court, but the actual document was written by a Jewish sofer with the right intent, all the halachas being followed, and so on. So the real chiddush here is about the signatures, the document itself, everything else was being done properly. Okay, that's as far as it gets, and based on the principle of aiding Messiah Karki, now let's go back and look at why the first part of the Mishnah, about why a monetary document is kosher. So let's see what the Mishnah says, the Gemara says. The Gemara says as following, it says, um, um, Kapasik Vitani, that the, um, the Mishnah uh, sort of makes, is categorical, you know, makes no distinctions. When it says a monetary document with, from a non-Jewish court is kosher, um, it doesn't distinguish between a document of, that testifies to a sale or a document that is about a gift. Now, why should there be a difference? Because a document, a star, can work in one of two ways. Um, a star, if we want to start by the example by a get, can be a type of an instrument. You write a certain type of document, and by handing it to the woman, she is divorced. By handing it to the slave, it affects his freedom. That can also be true when you transfer property. Property can be acquired, real estate can be acquired in one of three ways. Kesef, star, and chazaka. Kesef is you pay for it. Star is you hand over a document that says, I sold you my field, or I gift you my field, and you hand it over. And chazaka is somebody actually does an act of possession of showing mastery over the field. Um, so a document can work as an instrument to effect a change of status or a transfer of property. The other thing that a star can do, <clears throat> maybe more classically, is it just is a evidence. It's documentation. So it says... <clears throat> 
Ruvain sold Shimon his field, or Ruvain gave Shimon his field, or Ruvain borrowed from Shimon $100, and it has witnesses signing, and now this serves as testimony and as evidence in the court. So what the Gemara is going to say is, we can understand how a non-Jewish document might be able to serve as a type of evidence, but how can it serve to function to as this legal instrument if they are not part of our legal system. So let's take a look. Kapasik Vitani. When the Mishnah says a monetary document is um, good, it does not distinguish, make no, makes no distinctions. Loshna mecher, loshna matana. It doesn't matter if it's for a sale or for a gift. Bishleim mecher. I can understand a document uh, that, that attests to a sale. Michiyayv zuzay kamayu hudakana. Because we have, as I mentioned, one way to transfer ownership is by pay, uh, for real estate is by paying for it. And the assumption here is, is that the non-Jewish court system would never have written a document of ownership had it not been paid for. So therefore, you will only be seeing this document after it has been paid for, and therefore the act of acquisition halachically occurred through the paying of money. And therefore, this document coming from the non-Jewish court is only attesting to the fact that, to, you know, to, is, is, to the fact that it occurred. It's not an instrument, it's evidence, okay? Um, it's testimony. When it comes to sale, when the money was given in front of the court, that's when the possession took place, the acquisition took place. And therefore, this document Therefore, is not an instrument. It's only uh, it's only evidence. Okay, the court, if money had not been given in their presence to purchase the field, they never would have agreed to write the document. So the fact that this document is coming out of an established non-Jewish court is absolute evidence that this sale took place. Okay, um, so therefore that's fine, even if it doesn't satisfy normal halachic requirements of a star. You know, it is totally valid as a source of evidence. It's like there was a videotape. You know, it's not it working as qua star, it's working because a, a court would never have issued this had this not definitely occurred, so we can absolutely use this as evidence that this occurred. That's the way almost all the Rishonim understand it. Some want to frame it in the sense of it's a, it's a rabbinic takana, but even without a rabbinic takana, you can distinguish between evidence and something that is formal testimony. For example, the time of the Rishonim, um, they in, in Ashkenaz, where women were involved in business, they would often accept uh, women's testimony on things um, in monetary matters, not as formal edus, as testimony, but as evidence. You know, we're just going to treat it as solid evidence that this occurred. Okay, so that's fine. All we need is evidence and this can function as evidence, even if it's not a formal star. Okay? Ela matana, but why a gift? How would you acquire this piece of property as a gift? Right? It's only, you know, through the canning over of a star. Maybe it's by an act of chazaka, but there's no reason to think that that, you know, that's what this non-Jewish court is attesting to. So therefore, presumably, it's by this star. Well, how can this star function this way? That has to be an instrument, and it is not a formal star, because it is not done through a Jewish court with Jewish witnesses. So, the only way to acquire it is with this star. And this star is like a piece of pottery. It's worthless as, as that type of an instrument. So Amr Shmuel, Dina de Machusadina. So Shmuel says that this is part, you're right, technically that shouldn't work, but it works because it works in secular law, and the law of the sovereign is the law. And this is, of course, a major halachic principle, Dina de Machusadina. There's a major debate in the Rishonim and the Yachronim what the scope of it is. Uh, but Shmuel is saying something that I think we probably have incorporated, but certainly, you know, it's assumed to apply in a wide range of monetary matters. And if you just think about our normal life, right, when you go ahead and you buy something in a store, right, you're not starting to wonder about, like, 
have you actually taken possession of it halachically and do you really own it and can you really use it because you know maybe you didn't do Mashiach or Hagba or whatever the case might be. We assume that the ways in which society recognizes that, uh, that ownership transfers is halachically binding. Um, you know, there are other devices to explain why that's true. But anyway, Dina and Malchus Adina, that's what Shmuel said. And yes, that does transfer the property. Um, and if for some reason you don't want to make recourse to Dina and Malchus Adina, or maybe the scope of Dina and Malchus Adina is a little bit more narrower, which we won't discuss here, then the way to explain the Mishnah is when it says everything works except a get, it doesn't just mean a get, it means the category of get. What's the category of get? When Nitano. 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 I'm recording something, so please don't make a lot of clanging, okay? Sorry about that ambient noise there. What's the category of get? The category of get is a star that functions as an instrument. So therefore, stars that come from non-Jewish courts can work when they are evidence. They cannot work when they are serves as instruments, like a get and a writ of manumission. And this would also occur a, a, to, to apply to a document for transferring of property, a, a star matana. Okay. That's the first part of Mishnah. Fascinating why the secular ones work, why the monetary ones work. Now we have to get to the shocking position of Rabbi Shimon about why a get works. Um, so Rabbi Shimon Omer, af even a get is kosher. Again, we're going to assume that the writing was all done properly, but the signatures are not Jewish. How could that work? The Ha'alabin Ekrisus Ninhu says the Gemara, one minute, how could signatures of non-Jews make a, fu- a functional get? Non-Jews are not in the category of kritut, right? Which is like, eight, like, is like you know, safer kritut, uh, uh, when the Torah was it a, a book of division, of, of divorce. So since they're not in our halachas of marriage and divorce, how can they create this proper instrument to serve to effect the divorce? Now, by the way, you might want to say, what do you mean? Well, you know, there's even a more basic reason why they shouldn't be able to make a good document. You know, why the Gemara had to go to its whole explanation before, because they can't actually also be good witnesses. They're not halachic witnesses. So Tosu says that, if you look at Tosu's halabine krisis ninu, Tosu says, have a edus ninu. It could have also said that they are not good witnesses, uh, but it's saying here that they cannot do it, you know, besides that, because they cannot make this type of an instrument because they're not in the category of marriage and divorce. I should mention that there are actually some Rishonim that raise the possibility that non-Jews, if we address the concern of whether they're, you know, com- uh, whether they're telling the truth or not, maybe technically could be good witnesses, which is shocking. Discuss that a little bit tomorrow um, on, uh, daf, on, uh, uh, on Daf Yud Bet. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this, so how can that be? How can they make a good get? So Amar Rebbe Zera says, Rebbe Zera, Yad Rebbe Shimon Rabbi Shimon uh, descended to the, into like he d- dived deep into the position of Rabbi Eliezer that says that the witnesses who are who are at the handing over of the get right there's Eidi Chatima when it's signed and Eidi Misira when it's handed over the witnesses that are there when the get is being handed over they are the ones that are karti like the same word uh, bnei kritut they are the ones that make it a divorce that make it effective that make it a good get so that's the witnesses that matter so it doesn't really matter that the witnesses are non-Jews, assuming the get was done properly, the writing was properly, as long as you have the right witnesses when it's being handed over. Okay, well, now you got to make sure you do have those right witnesses. So the Gemara's going to say this is a little bit of a dangerous document because it's signed by invalid witnesses. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says, But one minute, didn't Rabbi Abba say that Rabbi Lezer, um, you know, agreed that when something was considered forged from within, it's invalid? Now, this is not actually forged, but the point is, it's one thing not to have something. It's another 
other thing to have it and to have it being false or wrong. So, okay, you don't have witnesses on your get, that's good for a Belezer if you have physical witnesses present. But if you actually have non-kosher witnesses signing it, that should be a basis for invalidity. What's the reason for it? That it should be invalid? Because you might come to rely on these witnesses. This looks like a totally valid get. Now, what does that mean you might come to rely on them? Well, it depends. According to some of you shown him, for Rebbe Eliezer, um, even though, you know, you can suffice with just the witnesses when it's handed over, but somebody shouldn't say, if you don't have those witnesses, you could also use the witnesses who signed on the get. So from that perspective, it's very clear why this get is a real danger, because, you know, it's signed by non-Jews, and you might just rely on them and hand it over without any Jewish witnesses present. Other, um, so that's, again, a rabbinic problem. Halakhically, it would be fine, but it's a very dangerous document, and the rabbis should, it would invalidate it rabbinically, because you could you wind up using it without witnesses present. An alternative would be, even if you assume you always need witnesses present, you know, you'll see these signatures on the document, you know, John Smith, and then you'll say, hey, is John Smith, is there a John Smith here? Oh, and they're known as there a so-and-so here, and you'll get those people to be the witnesses when it's handed over. Now, you might say, well, you know, you'll see that they're non-Jews, but it's very clear in the Gemara that in the time of the Gemara, it was not evident, you know, immediately evident who was Jewish and not Jewish by any external markers. So therefore, it is a dangerous document. You might use it alone, or you might use the witnesses on it to be the ones that are standing there, and therefore, how can we validate a document with signatures of non-Jews rabbinically? So the Gemara says, "Hachem uh, What are we talking about? Top of Yud Aleph Amud Aleph, That these names are clearly, clearly the names of non-Jews, and therefore there is no concern. So it's signed by Chris Christopherson, okay, you know, and Luke uh, McPherson or something. So in those cases, you know they're not Jewish names, and therefore you will never rely on them by themselves. You'll never use those people to be the witnesses. It's clear it was non-Jews, and therefore you can go ahead and make sure to get Jewish witnesses, and it'll be fine. Hey, David Shemus Mufakim, what's an example of these types of clearly non-Jewish names? of Papa Kikon Hormiz, Vavudina, Bar Shivtai, Ubar Kidri, Ubati, Vinekum Una. Okay, so those were the names, some very clear, not Jewish names. And if those types of names are there, the document is okay because they those signatures do not invalidate it, and you'll just make sure to get good good kosher Jewish witnesses when you hand it over. But the says, okay, but then what would you be saying if the names were not clearly non-Jewish names, signed by non-Jews, but you know, maybe they're Jewish names. Um, so um, maybe they would Jews who signed it. What would you say? Low. You would say you couldn't use it for the reasons we said, because then you might wind up using a document with, uh, with non-Jewish signatures without getting Jews to be present. Ihachi, if that's true, when the Sefer says, you know, Reb Shimon's statement that it's only a problem when it's in a private court, he should have made a distinction about the case, the case itself of when he is saying it's kosher in a, a ka'ot, in an established court, he should have been very clear that he's limiting himself to a case of clearly not Jewish names. Um, leave the listen today. Um, when am I saying it's good if it comes in from an established court if there are names that are clearly non-Jewish names? I will names that are not clearly not Jewish, low. It's not good, right? If that's one of your core criteria, then you should say that that is what is required for this get to be good. So the Gemara says, yeah, it's what the Mishnah really is saying. When is this true? Uh, where are we? Um, uh, 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 I just lost my place. 
When they're expert names, the Aval, when they're not expert names, then it's like it was done in, you know, done in a private court and it's invalid. Now, that's a very poor read of the Mishnah because we haven't even been mentioning private court. We're saying a big Chiddush that this type of again is kosher. So therefore, in that type of case, you would think you would have to say explicitly only in the following cases when these names are clearly not Jewish names. But the Gemara wants to read that into saying, oh, in a private court, it's not good, you know, and and like not not expert names is also sort of is also like a private court, so that's also not good. Okay, so it's sort of what's called ikachasim in a savior. You're sort of mis- not saying that what's the core criterion here. But anyway, be that as it may, um, it is saying that yes, that is how you're going to limit the statement of Rebbe Shimon. Now, why, by the way, in a private court, is it not good? Um, is um, not clear. Rashi has a whole and Tosos have a whole explanation that said that's not talking about a get. Get actually would be okay in a private court. Anyway, it's very complicated. It's not the simplest way to read the Gemara. The simplest way to read the Gemara is what the Ran says. The Ran says that there really are now two criteria. It has to be a clearly not Jewish name, and it has to be a public established court. Both things, things combined will make it very well known that it was signed by non-Jews. Okay, but if it is in one or not, but if you don't have both of them, then you're afraid that, uh, that you know, it won't be clearly known enough and you'll come to rely on it. According to the Ron's read, it's a little bit better the way the Gemara tries to fit it into the Mishnah, because the problem of a private court is also that it's not clear enough it's being done by non-Jews. Okay, a big public, major central court system, like that gives, makes everybody clear, oh wait a minute, this was done by the non-Jewish court, probably was done by non-Jews, signed by non-Jews, and so on. So both of those now are pretty central criteria, and that's really the point of the Mishnah, that you need all those things to make sure that it's clear that it was signed by non-Jews. Okay, the Ibai says the Gemara, and if you want, I can tell you, say for us on the Gite Mamon. The last statement, oh, a private court is not good, is talking about a monetary document, and that's not good because there's concerns about whether you can, it's as trustworthy as one that comes from a public court, um, you know, but it goes back to the first part of the mission. It's not part of the statement of Herb Shimon. The first part of the mission says monetary documents in our cars are good, but in private courts, they're not good. Okay, fine. But at the end of the day, then, the basic requirement that it be a clearly not Jewish name is not being stated in the Mishpah. Um, but uh, okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, here's, uh, here's how it would read. Reading the last part of the statement, not as Reb Shimon, but going back to the first part of the Mishnah, Gitei Mamon are good, Gitein are not good, parentheses, Reb Shimon says they're good, back to Gitei Mamon, even when we said Gitei Mamon are good, that's only in public courts, not in private courts. Okay, Tanya. Now we're going to quote a Brisa where Rabbi Shimon is going to push his case against the, uh, you know, against the Chachamim to say that Gitim are good um, when they are done in the Erkaot. So we taught in the Brisa, Amr Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yosi, Chacham Rabbi Shimon Chachamim. This is what Rabbi Shimon said to the Chachamim, B'tidan, Lo nechlu ke Rabbi Akiva Chachamim, Akol Ashtar, Sa'olim Berkos, Sha'akum, Sha'afapit, Sha'chosmeim, Akum, Kshayrim, Ve'afilu Gitei Noshim V'shichur Yavadim. He says, look, there's a debate of Rabbi Akiva the Chachamim about this. We didn't even know that. But he's saying, but that debate never replied to public courts, okay? Documents signed by non-Jews in the public courts those documents, everybody always agreed they were kosher, and not only monetary documents, even gitim and, you know, writs of manumission for slaves, they're all kosher, just like Reb Shimon says in our Mishnah. Um, lo, um, so, um, and don't try to tell me that somebody disagreed. No, 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 the disagreement was never about public courts. All those documents are good. The only time there was a disagreement was when things were done in private courts. Reb Yekiva says that that's okay. He's not worried about the trustworthy 
worthiness of those documents. We're, we're talking about, let's say, monetary documents. But the Chabim is saying, no, 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 private courts, we are worried about those, the trustworthiness of those documents. Um, so there, there is a debate. Except for Gitim and Shichurei Now, does the Chutz go on the Chachamim invalidate, except for that case, or on the Rebbe Akiva? Again, this is the debate of Rashi tells us on one side, the Ran on the other. I'm going to read it like the Ran, which is clear, much easier read of the Mishnah, of the Gemara, which is, in those private courts, by the way, there the Chachamim say yes. The, I mean, Rabbi Kiva says yes, they are good. The Chachamim say no, they're not good. That's by monetary documents. But of course, everybody would agree that the private in, in the private courts, Gittim are not good. Okay, that makes sense, right? Because right now, Gittim are clearly the ones that are much more questionable why they should be good. So in the public court, nobody disagrees. Everything is good, even Gittim. In the private courts, there's a debate of debate of monetary documents. But they are, um, uh, but but of course, they are Gittim would be no good. Um, that, that is not debated. Okay. Um, okay. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, now Gamliel says, you know what? I am going to allow a get even in a private court. How can you do this? Aren't you concerned that uh, people won't know that they're signed by non-Jews and all the concerns we mentioned before? So the Gemara says, If it's a type of a court where they do not allow Jews to sign. So in some municipalities, Jews were not allowed to sign you know, the official uh, documents that were done in the secular courts. So in those municipalities, he's saying, I will even allow it in a private court. You'll know it's signed by non-Jews and there's no concern. Um, but if Jews are allowed to sign, then I'm agreeing. Private courts, there's too much of a concern. It won't be clear that it's a non-Jew. So again, you need two things. So this is the way the Ron reads it. You need two things for it to be clear that it's a non-Jew and to allow this document, a very clear non-Jewish name and done in a public court. But in a private court, we're concerned that you won't be aware. Says Rabbi Kim Leo, even in a private court, in places where non-Jews are not allowed to sign, where Jews are not allowed to sign, I am not concerned that you won't be aware because they are obviously the only people who would sign would be non-Jews. So I will even allow a private court if Jews are not allowed to sign in that region. So as Gemara says, um, um, why don't we make a that you we can't allow a document in a place where Jews are not allowed to sign because if we allow those types of documents you'll come to allow documents in places where Jews are allowed to sign so the Gemara says um, uh, no look we can understand people that might debate whether you can you know whether the idea of um, like of, of a well-known non-Jewish name is good or not because, you know, it's not exactly clear what's a clear not-Jewish name, what's an ambiguous name, you know, what exactly is the line between that. So maybe you don't want to allow, you know, non-Jewish names, uh, clearly non-Jewish names, because that'll be too, um, you know, because, because that'll be too easy to come to allow names that are not clearly non-Jewish. But locations, because, you know, it's like there's no clear line there. But in a municipality where, non, where Jews are not allowed to sign, there is no ambiguity. So therefore, that he'll be more okay with. And one way that seems like the Gemara is saying is, he might not even have so much of a criteria about the nature of the names. For him, the whole criteria might have been the region. If, not, if Jews are not allowed to sign, then everybody knows the signatures are non-Jews, and those documents are okay. Public courts, private courts, I don't care. Clearly, Jews did not sign it. And that's very black and white. But I'm not going to start playing around with how obvious are the names, Jewish or not Jewish. That's very vague. Okay. 
Ravina Savar, now we're going to move on to a practical discussion. Ravina Savar la'achshure b'chnufiasa de'armai. Ravina thought to allow, presumably now we're talking about a monetary document, um, and remember those are good in, pub, in the public courts, not in private courts, and he allowed in the type of a case where there was a large communal gathering of the non-Jews, like, you know, and maybe they set up an ad hoc court, it wasn't an erka'ot, but it was a, you know, it was something that was public. Like the Gemara says how, you know, whatever, about how they would have regular, or the mission of how they would have regular courts on Mondays and Thursdays, you know, in the villages when everybody would gather for the market day. So this would be something like that. But it wasn't an established court, and he thought that was close enough, and he was going to allow that document. Amalei Raphim, so if Raphim pushed back and said, Erkaos Tanah. No, the mission says an Erkaos, which means a fixed established court, and that is what is required. Okay, Amarava, Haishtar Parsa, Demasu Nihali, Bapi Sadi Israel. If you have a Persian document that was handed over in the presence of Jewish witnesses, now it's going to seem from context that what we're talking here is about a document testifying to a loan. Ruve borrowed $1,000 from Shimon, and it's, signed, it's written in Persian, signed by Persian witnesses, handed over in front of Jews. Now, what good is a document like that normally? Not a Persian one, a normal halachic one. A normal halachic document like that is good because you can A, use it to prove that the money was borrowed. B, use it to prove that the money hasn't been paid back yet, because if it had been paid back yet, why am I still holding on to the document, unless you have a receipt to prove against that. And C, um, when something is written in a document, it is, becomes a matter of public record, and that gives me liens on your property. So if after you borrow the money from me, somebody buys your property, real estate we're talking about, um, then I can go ahead and I can take that property if you don't have money on, on your own possession. Okay, And that can only be, now that's not fair to the person buying property from you if he's not aware of it, so that's why it needs to be a written document to create that sense of public record so the person finds out. So here, there are witnesses present with this Persian document handing over that's being said that you borrowed $1,000 from me. And we're going to say the document is good. Now, who needs the document to be good? If the witnesses know what's happening, just rely on the witnesses. So that's not fully spelled out, but it seems that the witnesses, you know, they might not remember a year from now or 10 years from now, you know, they might not remember the details unprompted. Um, they, you know, may not remember it all unprompted or maybe not remember the details. Was it 1,000? Was it 10,000? What exactly was the date? What exactly was the conditions? So therefore, but because they're seeing the document, and then when the document is produced 10 years from now, they could say, yes, we remember. That was the document that was handed over, and therefore their memory of the document plus the document makes that document valid, okay? So that's how that's going to work, and now that can function as a good document, even though it's written in Persian and signed by non-Jewish witnesses. Um, so, that if this document that was, that was handed over in the presence of Jewish witnesses, you can use it to collect from unencumbered property, meaning I can now collect from Shimon um, property he has on his own person, but I cannot, it does not give me liens. I cannot collect from property that he has sold, real estate that he has sold, because since it's not a halachic star, it does not, um, it, it doesn't create liens. So now the government is going to say, one minute, how does this work? The halo yadi lemikarye. The, the, the witnesses that saw it handed over, they can't read Persian. So how do they know what they're testifying to? So the says, be the idea. No, we're talking about a case that they do know how to read Persian. And they read it and they are witnessing it and they're agreeing that that is exactly what has occurred. What it's, te- what it's stating is what occurred. 
Don't you need a type of a writing that cannot be forged? Meaning it has to be written on a type of a parchment and with a type of an ink that were you to erase the ink, you would see that something had been erased. The, uh, there's an obvious reason why you need this. This document says Shimon borrowed $1,000 um, from Dove. So after, if it's something that's me forged, after I get that document in my possession, I'll just, you know, erase it and uh, instead of 1000 write a million. By the way, you know, that's why on a check, if people remember what checks are, it's not only a place to write the number, but also you write it out in words, $1,000. Because if you just wrote 1000 you could like squeeze in an extra zero or an extra one or something like that. Okay, so you need something that cannot be forged. And presumably, and this seems to assume that a standard Persian document was, was able to be erased and to be forged. Of course, one wonders how anybody could have managed in a system like that. But okay, that's what the Gemara asks. So since that's the case, how could they, the, their testimony combine with this document? So the Gemara says, No, you have actually treated the, the parchment with uh, this gall nut, and actually, yes, it was done on a type of a, of, uh, on a, type of a, uh, a paper, a parchment that could not be forged. So the Gemara says, Don't we have a principle that you have to go re- repeat the, uh, the, the essence of the document in the last line? This means, if you like, no by Exuva, it says, the Kanina and Miko, you know, from so and so, I'll call the custom for Shael, the man of the commercial Kanya Bay, Vakosha River Kayam. We sort of did a Kenyan on everything we said above, and everything is done properly. What's the purpose of that line? The purpose of that line is you want to know where the end of the document is because you don't want witnesses to sign and leave enough of a space between the end and their signature that somebody could squeeze in another line and say, oh, plus he borrowed another million dollars. So therefore, what you do is the very last line of the document essentially says, this is the last line of the document. Okay, that's what Hakol Sharir Vikayam is doing. So you need that statement, this is the last line of the document, to say anything afterwards is no good. And that's not the case here, so why shouldn't we be afraid that something will be squeezed in, uh, you know, underneath? So the Gemara says, uh, yes, they made it fit that criteria as well. So you've got this Persian document, all of the technical requirements that we're concerned about, about the document being misused, it's still a non-Jewish document, but all those technical requirements we have are all being satisfied and the aiding know how to read it, and therefore they can testify to it and you can use it. So the Gemara says, Ihachi, if it's such a perfect document, so let, why not collect from, um, why not have liens collect, you know, because why doesn't it create liens if it's such a perfect document? So the Gemara says, says, um, because even though now you basically have 80 Mesira plus a perfect document, why don't they combine to make it a real star? So the one says, it might be halachically a star, but because it is not a Jewish star and signed by Jewish witnesses, there is not enough of a public record of it or public knowledge of it that it can create, that it would be fair to have that create a liens. Okay. We'll have one last discussion around uh, going back to get and around non-Jewish signatures. By many Reishlakish Mir Biochan. Reishlakish asked from Biochanan. Important to remember that Reishlakish and Biochanan are both in Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Um, so we were talking about you know non-Jew signed it. Can you use it? Now we're talking about at the receiving end. You have a get that's being delivered, and you're looking at the signatures here in your court system, wherever it's coming from, and coming, let's say, from one place of Israel to another. Um, we'll see that be relevant in a minute. Um, and the signatures, they look like non-Jewish signatures. So you now have a question. What is the story here? Are these signatures of Jews that just happen to have non-Jewish sounding names? If that's the case, the sked is good. Or is this the signatures of non-Jews? In which case, 
the get is no good. Because even if you were then bring over some Jews to be present in the handing over, because the names are ambiguous, remember, the rabbi said, you can't use that document. It could be misused. So <laughs> if it's non-Jews with possibly Jewish, possibly not Jewish names, it's no good because it's a dangerous document. If, however, it happens to be Jews, nobody said you can't use documents signed by Jews if they happen to have non-Jewish names. So what should we assume? Should we assume this was signed by Jews and it's good? Or should we be concerned it was signed by not-Jews and it's not good? So the Gemara says, um, so if Yohanan said back to him, the only case we ever had was a doc like this, was a document signed by somebody called Lucas and Luce, or Luke, I don't know, and Luce, and, um, and we said it was good. But the way uh, Tosus Rashi Tosus explains is those were clearly not Jewish names, so that gets back to our Mishnah. We assumed it was not Jews, but because it was so clearly not Jewish, um, it was not a problematic document, and we had Jews present at the handing over. Okay, but ambiguous names... Like, I don't know what the answer is. So the Gemara says, Vidavka, or not, I don't know what the answer is, but actually it's not good. Vidavka, Lucas, Velus, Loshichi, Israel, Damaski, Bishmayo. Only Lucas and Luce, where it is not at all common that Jews would use that name, therefore we know it's not Jewish names, and we'll make sure that there are Jews present at the handing over. Avash, Masahu, Echrini, other names, is really what the um, Gemara is commenting on Rabbi Yochanan's statement. Rabbi Yochanan is not saying this, but, uh, but, Masahu, Echrini, other names, the Shichichi, Israel, Damaski, Bishmayo, that it's common that Jews might use some type of names that are a little like, you know, they sound not Jewish, but we know that Jews do use those names. In those type of cases where there's ambiguity, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish, in those kinds of cases, low, you can't use them, right? Because if they're Jews, if you knew they were Jews, you could use it, but because it might be non-Jews and because it's not clear that they're not Jews, that's a problem. So now let me challenge this statement that Reb Yochanan sort of said that, you know, uh, uh, ambiguous names are not good because they might be non-Jews. Um, we have a, a Tosefta, teaches the following. You have Gittin that come from overseas, not from within Israel, that'll be relevant. And there are witness signatures. Um, Even if the names are non-Jewish names, they're still good because of the majority one is if it literally means majority, but whatever. You know, a large percentage of the John, of Jews outside of Israel have not non-Jewish names, and therefore, if a get comes with non-Jewish names, uh, you know, what's the likelihood that this was a get signed by non-Jews? You know, they're so, it's so prevalent for Jews to have non-Jewish names, of course we're going to assume that these are Jews and they, that they just had non-Jewish names. So you see this goes against what Rabbi Yochanan said, because this says that you can assume that they're Jews, even if they're not blatantly non-Jewish names, you can still generate you can, your, your assumption should be that they were signed by Jews. So the Gemara says, no, that doesn't challenge Rabbi Yochanan. There it makes it clear why that's okay. That's when they're coming from outside of Israel. And outside of Israel, particularly if Chutzarts doesn't mean Bavel, and it's a place, you know, of more um, integration with a larger society and so on, um, and less of sort of like a rabbinic presence, there, okay, it's obviously these, you know, your normal assumption is again assigned by Jews. And the fact that it's not Jewish names coming from a place where Jews very prevalent, have not Jewish names, it's all going to be fine. Okay, but from within Israel, you know, it's not so prevalent that Jews have these names, and in that case, we have to be concerned that it's signed by non-Jews. All right. Vika the Ami and others say, No, the question was exactly the case of the, of the Tosefta, when they came from Chutz Aretz, what's the story? And Rabbi Yochanan's response was, oh, when they come from Chutz Aretz, from Medina Sayam, then even non-Jewish sounding names, you know, we can go ahead and assume that they're Jews, 
because that's the nature of Jews in Chutzarts. They have those names, and therefore it's all fine. Okay, the fascinating thing about this whole Gemara is the recognition without any sort of critical comment that how prevalent it was for Jews to have non-Jewish sounding names, um, the, or non-Jewish names, we should just say. Um, there's a... Um, um, uh, amazing Chuvan Rav Moshe Feinstein in Ligris Moshe where somebody said to him you know we should criticize all those people you know it was so prevalent um, to be you know give you know uh, give Jewish babies uh, you know uh, secular names you know I, I was given my generation everybody was given like a secular name and a Jewish name right so he said we should criticize this you know because uh, uh, the Gemara says that the reason the Jews were saved from Egypt you know the Israelites were saved was because they didn't change their names and their dress and their language so how, how are we so okay with everybody giving Goyesha names so you know and very funny, right? The Gemara here sort of recognizes it was extremely prevalent. Anyway, so if Moshe and his tshuva basically goes through all the Tanayim, all the Amarayim, all the, you know, Achronim, Rishonim, who had secular names, and he said, look, you know, this was completely, totally acceptable, and he says, what about this Medrash? And here he says a brilliant thing. He says, that Medrash was talking before Matan Torah, and before Matan Torah, the only thing they had to maintain their identity was these external markers, right? Language, names, the way they dressed. You needed those markers to, establish, to maintain their identity. And that's what it means that they were saved because they were able to hold on to their identity. After Matan Torah says, we have Tariyag Mitzvos. So we do not need to so worry about whether the names are Jewish or not Jewish. Our Tariyag Mitzvos maintains and sustains our identity. And, that, um, and for that, Zuchos, we could be Nigalu. All right. So we'll end with this and pick up um, uh, on Daf, uh, for Daf Yudbet tomorrow.